know, I consider myself just as much a member of the community as I do myself the leader of the community. I, I think that's just the example that I want to set, and I want that to be the case for all of our leaders. You know, as we have chapters growing across the country, I want the type of person that's really excited to put other people on the stage and highlight what's awesome about them. Stepping up as a leader takes a willingness to walk a fine line. On one hand, you become a leader because there's a community, an organization, a group, or a movement that you care passionately about. Your leadership is an expression of belonging at the same time it is a question of possibility. Now, on the other hand, as a leader, you have a responsibility to set the tone, to hold others accountable, to make decisions for the group, and set standards. Your leadership is a product of always being a few steps in front of the rest of the group. Whether you're leading a team, a community, your current clients, or a bevy of customers, every small business owner is a leader, which means you, yes, you listening right now, you are walking this fine line, whether you realize it or not. I'm Tara McMullen, and this is What Works, the show that transcends the hype and asks what's really working to run and grow a small business today. This month, we're examining leadership and specifically how we lead with our values and turn those values into systems and action. One way that we as leaders can make sure our values are known and that our actions support the kind of culture we want to create within our businesses is by recognizing our role as members of the group we lead. If you're leading a team, you're a member of the team. If you're leading a community, you're a member of that community. If you're leading a movement, you're a member of that movement. Yes, you have a role and responsibility that is separate from that and often takes up much more of your time and attention, but you're in it too. And that's important. Last week, Erica Corday shared that one of the ways she leads is by modeling how she wants her values to play out. She shows up and does the work just like she wants her staff to. This week, my guest Shannon Siriano Greenwood echoes something similar. When I asked her how she views her role, she told me that she sees herself as much as a member as a leader. In my own business and at the What Works Network, this is also how I've learned to see things. If I model the kind of behavior I want to see play out, others will follow my lead. If I show up as a member in our community, others will mirror what I do. That's not how I used to operate, though. I used to think that being a leader meant distancing myself from the people I lead. It meant being different and doing differently. What I've learned is that being a leader is both and. I'm both a member of my community and the one that sets the standards. I'm both a member of my team and the one that makes the plans. And if I'm careful and thoughtful, I can and should do both. And now it's time to get to this week's guest. I'm thrilled to bring Shannon Siriano Greenwood back to the podcast. Shannon is the founder of Rebel, which started as a conference and grew into a whole community of women who believe they have the power to define, design, and create their own version of success. Shannon and I talk about how she became the leader of the Rebel community in the first place, how she and her team design each event to bring their values to life, and what her role is within the growing community and event series. We also talk about how Shannon is ensuring that the values that make Rebel great are represented as the community grows. Now, let's find out what works for Shannon Siriato Greenwood. 
Welcome back to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me back. Absolutely. So I'm really excited about diving into this topic of leadership with you because I think that you are someone who is living the leadership life on a daily basis, and it really, really shows in the community that you've gathered together with Rebel. But I want to start with um, sort of the intention behind actually forming and gathering Rebel. So you've founded Rebel because you consciously decided to opt out of that kind of hustle, hustle, hustle culture that teaches us that hard work comes at the expense of rest and rejuvenation and self-care and sometimes I think our very own selves. So what led up to you making that realization that you were going to step away from that kind of culture and create something different? Well, I wish I could say it was some like beautiful aha moment on top of a mountain, but it was actually one of those like crying on the floor in the fetal position Mm -hmm. moments. Um, As I know, I am not the only one who has experienced, but I have suffered from burnout multiple times in my life. It essentially was my like just my process that I would get involved in something and go at it with all of my heart and soul and mind and body. And then I would just totally burn out on the end. Um, so rebel really came about after my most recent burnout, which was also accompanied by, um, the birth of my first baby, which was accompanied by postpartum depression. So I was, super depressed. I had just sold my shares of my business that I owned at the time and I had no idea what I was going to do. And so I was on this like, you know, search for myself and to figure out what I was going to do differently the next time. And that really led me into Rebel. But I will say at the time, I didn't know what Rebel was going to be. You know, our first idea was that we were going to host a workshop and that has now turned into a full business with a team and chapters and all kinds of different things. Wow. Yes. Well, I want to hear more about that development and I want to hear about how you've um, kind of stuck to this um this insight, this maybe unpleasant aha <laughs> moment yeah. that you had um, and used that as a way of really building something that is very different. Um, and I think I want to kind of create the context for that conversation by naming the values that you decided to imbue the Rebel community with. So what are the values that Rebel is based on? Well, I had to pull up our uh, document because I feel like I live them so much. Sometimes I forget what did we actually write down Mm -hmm. when we developed our values. Um, And I'll share them. And then I want to share a little bit about how we came to these values as far as the written ones. So we have four. The first one is to create a sense of belonging first and foremost. And I think this really speaks to how we end up in those burnout situations is oftentimes because we don't have support and we don't have sounding boards, which is not something that you learn, especially not in business school or when you're building a business, how essential that sense of belonging and support is to you being successful and being fulfilled. So that was the number one, create a sense of belonging. Um, Number two was to be intentionally inclusive. And I think inclusive, obviously, from a 
perspective of we want diverse voices and we want to hear different people's take and we want representation of people that come from different backgrounds that are different races, um, have different sexual orientations, all of those things, but also intentionally inclusive because when I burned out, it was because all of my friends were also these go hard, go home people. Mm -hmm. I didn't have an intentionally inclusive community of people with different values and perspectives, which was why no one that I was around was like, hey, maybe you're going too hard and you should chill because they were all doing it too. Yeah. Um, our third value is to cultivate vulnerability through authenticity. And again, it just goes right back. Like I didn't feel like I could be vulnerable. I didn't have anyone that I could share how I was really feeling underneath. Like I only had people that I thought I needed to impress and that, you know, comes from I'm sure like growing up too and that I was really ambitious student and I got lots of praise for getting good grades and overachieving and there's no vulnerability in that um so that's number three and then our fourth value is just to you know meet our brand standards from the everything from our event design to the event experience to the program format because we really are intentional about design to be able to have people do those number one, two, and three things. So to feel like they belong, for it to be intentionally and inclusive, and to make people feel comfortable enough to be vulnerable through their authenticity, there's a design of how you make that happen in a way that doesn't feel like you designed it that way. Yes. Okay. Well, let's dig into that because yeah. the next thing I really want to talk <laughs> about is how these values actually play out. And I think we can probably explore that from a number of different angles, but it sounds like this is a really great place to start. So, um, yeah. you know, I had the the privilege of, of being at the October RebelCon event, which was fantastic. And the community was Really, I mean, it's everything you say it is and and more. Um, it, it was really remarkable. Um, and the event itself, the experience of the event, like you said, the design of all of the little details, so mm. perfect. It, I, I mean, I... I was blown away by the design of the event, not just the pretty things, but the way each detail was handled, the way the agenda was put together. Can you talk about how design helps you play out these other values? Well, first, let me say thank you. Thank you so much for saying that because, you know, often so many times you're like in the weeds of all the little things you wonder if anyone does notice. <laughs> so thank you. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, design is is so essential to what we do. And like you said, it's not just the aesthetics that plays a role, but there's so much strategy that goes into what we do. I have a background in hospitality. And so that definitely affects the way that I approach the design of our event. But again, going back to those values of creating a sense of belonging, you know, I've gone to enough networking events and enough conferences and enough just other places where people gather to really know like what works and what doesn't and then be intentional about that. So I'm sure you know this because you've been to events and anyone that's been to a networking event knows, especially I know you are a um, self-proclaimed introvert and <laughs> as am I. And so when you walk into a room full of a ton of people, it's absolutely impossible to connect with anyone. So we intentionally create the space 
so that people are kind of forced into smaller groups. So even the way we design the seating for the conference, we'll have like clusters of chairs around with like small tables, like conversation tables Mm -hmm. to intentionally give people a smaller group that they can connect with. And then we do that throughout the event in in different ways to mix those up, but then also always create spaces where it's a small group of people so that they have an opportunity to really connect with one another. Um, Same with the design of the the format of the day. You know, we have speakers, we have interviews. We mix up that programming too. One, it's a long day and you get bored if there's just like people talking at you all day long. But two, when you're part of – feel like you're witnessing people's conversations, you're connecting in a different way than you are absorbing a speaker that's, you know, sharing something in their own personal story. So I think a lot of the things that we've done were intuitive to me because I come from the hospitality background. But then when we like look backwards at it, we can see like, no, this was really an intentional strategy, even from like, this sounds really silly, but I have like a pet peeve of, a check-in area where people are seated in low chairs. It's just not the kind Mm. of greeting that makes you feel disarmed. Like think of when you go to a restaurant, the hostess booth is always like a stand Mm -hmm. and the hostess is standing to greet you so that you have eye contact and you're at eye level with each other. Like that's really important to me. And so it's funny because when we're, you know, training chapter hosts or training new team members, they may not always understand like, well, why can't I just sit at a table to do this. Like I can check people in just easily sitting at a table. And I'm like, no, you cannot. <laughs> it's not the same experience as being greeted at eye level. Yeah. I I have never thought about that before. But as soon as you said it, I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. <laughs> it's so weird, right? Like those little, but it's those little thoughtful things that make our experience different. It's not that our you know, programming is that much better or that our lunch is that much better, but we're really thoughtful about the small intimacies that make you feel welcome and like you belong. Yeah. Can we talk about the format of your events a little bit and kind of how you decide on what is going to actually be in an event? And I'd love to talk about it from the perspective of creating belonging, uh, creating a sense of belonging and intentionally being inclusive because, um, you definitely, it, it is clear that diversity and inclusion is super important uh, to the way you are programming events. And I would just love to hear what your thought process and sort of strategy for ensuring that that happens. Um, I'd love, yeah, I'd just love to hear more about that. Yeah. Well, I'll share kind of a vulnerable story of really why that is so important to us. When I first had the idea with a couple other people for, RebelCon, the first conference, um, I put the, we put, like, we were scrambling. We had, like, three months to, like, plan and execute this event. And so it was me, my co-founder, a communications person, and a graphic designer for white women. And we, like, quickly got a logo together and, like, threw up a landing page of the website. And the image that we had on the website was a woman of color and a white woman. And a friend of mine who's a woman of color called me and was like, you better deliver on what you just put on the internet. Mm -hmm. And I was like, in my white privilege oblivion, like, what do you, what do you mean? Like, we didn't put anything on the internet. And she was like, if 
if you are saying that this is an organization that represents women of color and you have no women of color on your team, then you better deliver on this. And it was kind of a, at the time I was like devastated of like, oh my gosh, like how could I be insensitive and not understand and all these things. But it was the best thing that ever happened to us because I was like, she's absolutely right. If 50% of what's represented on our represented on our website is women of color, then 50% of our programming needs to be women of color. Wow. And so from that very first confrontation, which I'm so grateful to her for, we were like, if this is what we're saying we're doing, we have to deliver on it. And so we, at our team meetings, when we're going through programming, we have a white lady quota. And when we get too close to the white lady quota, we really have to step back and think about how are we being intentional in making sure that we're meeting the expectations of our now community and delivering on what we say we're going to deliver on. Yeah. Well, it sounds like your friend was calling you in to this greater awareness and acknowledgement mm-hmm. of the community that you were gathering together. And now you are doing the same thing, calling in the people that you want to have represent your community in terms of the programming that you put together. Absolutely. And I think it's very intentional, but once you start practicing it, it's not hard. Yes. (laughs) I think that's like the common misconception of people trying to make representative programming that it's hard to do. It's not hard to do. It just has to be really intentional. Yes, I totally agree. I mean, it is a goal that we've been working toward more and more in the people that we have on the podcast, the people who we call into our community, the way we represent our community and and our small groups. And it did feel, it felt challenging at first, I think in the same way that you felt challenged as well. Um, And the more I've gotten into it, the more we've gotten into it, the more we just think it's just part of the process. It's not hard. (laughs) No, there's nothing hard about it. You just have to remember and think about it and make it intentional, which is, as you said, in our white lady privilege, we're just not used to doing that. But the moment you make it (laughs) the moment you make yourself aware of it, it's like, oh, this is not hard. Mm -hmm. I love it. Um, So you've mentioned a couple of things to me that strike me as things that are important to you that you have turned into uh, I'm going to call it a policy or a procedure. That might be a strong word, but it's, mm. it sounds like that's what it is. Um, you know, both from this is how we're going to um, make sure that our programming is inclusive and we're creating a sense of belonging. We're going to have this you know, 50% of our program uh, needs to be people from marginalized communities. And the same thing with, you know, wanting people to feel really welcome when they walk in the door that the registration table is going to be at eye level and not something that you're looking down on. Um, Can you talk about are there other policies that you can think of that you guys have put in place to ensure the quality and the, the experience of a rebel event that come from those sort of, uh, personal values and company values that you're trying to um, lift up as as the company grows? Yeah, I think, correct, policy and procedures are words that we probably resist, especially in the entrepreneurial space of like, oh, no, no, we don't have policies and procedures. (laughs) But of course, we have operating guidelines, and we have ways that we want things to be done. So those are, in fact, policies and procedures. One, um, that I can think of just as you were um, asking the question, 
again, going back to making people feel welcome and making people feel like they belong, we are very intentional about our ambassadorship, mm. meaning any member of our team, past, present, forever, is considered an ambassador of our brand, and it is their job to make people feel welcome. So we have a practice of at our events, whether it's the conference or our smaller community events, that there has to be ambassadors there that essentially scrape the wall for wallflowers. <laughs> so find people that look like they are uncomfortable to talk to someone and talk to them and then introduce them to someone. I love that. And it's funny because it creates this um, sense of ownership from our ambassadors that they feel like it, they have a really important purpose at our event other than just being there. And it helps people immediately feel disarmed and welcomed when they're greeted by someone, not a person that looks like they're working the event that's standing at the front, but someone that's just there as an attendee. Yeah. How do you communicate with those people so that they understand what you expect of them? I tell them. Okay. <laughs> Um, you know, our organization is small enough that I touch every person. Well, that's not true. I touch all the leaders of the chapters and, and they know and understand it. I think it's not actually that hard to get people to do it because if they've attended an event and then joined our team, they kind of understand it. And they like that somebody did that for them. And then they're even more excited to be able to pass that on to someone else. Got it. You'll hear why her team is the most important thing to Shannon in just a minute. But first, a word from our What Works partners. What Works is brought to you by FedEx. You've dreamed it and you've built it. And now FedEx would love the opportunity to help shine a light on your business. So what would you do with $50,000 to grow your business? The 2020 FedEx Small Business Grant Contest is here with 12 prizes available this year. Entries are accepted January 28th through March 2nd. All you have to do to enter is submit a short profile of your business, some photos that capture the spirit of your business, a one-minute video about what makes your business special, and then spread the word so your fans can help support your entry. The grand prize is $50,000 plus $7,500 in FedEx office print and business services. The silver prize winner will receive $30,000 plus $5,000 in FedEx office services. And 10 bronze prize winners will receive $15,000 plus $1,000 in FedEx office services. All winners will receive priceless business building consultation and learning opportunities. Learn more about the 2020 FedEx Small Business Grant Contest at fedex.com slash grant contest. That's fedex.com slash grant contest. What Works is also brought to you by Mighty Networks. The last decade was all about huge, open online platforms with loose relationships and even looser ethics. This new decade is starting out with a step in the opposite direction. Today, more than ever, people are craving a way to create deep, meaningful connections online. They want to find communities that mean something to them, and they want to work with like-minded people to learn and grow. This is your opportunity. You can be the person that brings them together. Mighty Networks makes it possible. 
Mighty Networks is everything you need to create a safe, private space for the people you care about. Whether you're building a movement, training a growing group, advocating for a cause you care about, or all of the above, Mighty Networks brings you the infrastructure to do it. It's your community hub, your online course platform, and a membership powerhouse all in one. We use Mighty Networks to create a dedicated private space for small business owners to trade notes on what's working and get support on what's not. Who will you bring together with a Mighty Network? To start your Mighty Network free of charge, go to MightyNetworks.com. That's MightyNetworks.com. All right, let's talk a little bit more about your team, Um, because I know you mentioned that the first conference was a fairly small team, but your team has really grown. There are a lot of people involved in uh, RebelCon, in the Rebel community, um, and just helping you make this whole thing work. So how do you work with those women, those team members to communicate your vision and your values so that they can pass them on as they do their own piece of the puzzle? Yeah. The team has always been the most important thing to me. I think it's funny because I, I mean, obviously we, we love the work that we do, but I would work with these women on anything. Like it really doesn't matter to me. I just enjoy working with them so much. Um, so when we originally put together our vision and our mission and our values, we actually did it on a retreat with the original team. Well, maybe not the original team, but the team at the time. So there's probably like 10 of us that went just like an hour away from our city in a little Airbnb in the woods. And we had a big sleepover and we came up with our values and all this information. And we played um, that card game that you like say gross stuff. Do you know Cards what I'm talking Against about? Humanity? Yes, yes. <laughs> and also like so inappropriate. Unpro- yeah, um, I'm enjoying the the contrast there. Yeah, yeah, it was good times. And I'm like kind of prude. So it was like, oh my God, it was so embarrassing for me, but fun. Um, so, the, you know, from the very beginning, it's not me saying these are my values. And so you as my team have to have them too. It truly was us coming together to create them as, a community. Um, and so that's really helpful in getting people to be on board with their values if they're the people who created those values. And then as the team has grown, you know, we, be, again, because there's such a core group of us that are established and have been there since the values were created, it's pretty easy to get people into the fold. And I would also say that the members of, that join our team are people that probably are seeking out this type of community and seeking out an organization that has these values. Mm. So it's not a challenging thing to get people on board with what we're doing. Yeah, I think that's really smart. And um, it's certainly something that I have seen as well in our own organization that if that when the culture is really set, um, that then you attract more people who are there for that culture specifically, whether that's a team culture or a community culture. And I think that that's true it, it seems like that's true on both sides at Rebel as well. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about you as a leader now, because we've talked we've talked about the events. We've talked a little bit about the community. Um, we've talked about your team. And I love that you're presenting yourself in the kind of relationship with the people that you're gathering, where it is very co-creative, it's very collaborative, it's very immersive. And I'm curious how you sort of characterize your own role as a leader in that mix. Hmm. 
I was such an interesting thing to ponder. You know, I consider myself just as much a member of the community as I do myself the leader of the community. It's very important for me to, you know, understand. I, I think that's just the example that I want to set. And I want that to be the case for all of our leaders. You know, as we have chapters growing across the country, I don't want a leader that's the person that just loves being on the stage. That's not really the type of organization that we are. I want the type of person that's really excited to put other people on the stage and highlight what's awesome about them. You know, that's really how I operate and what I see is a difference between what we do and what other people do. But that being said, I recognize that I also have responsibilities as a leader to set the tone, um, to deal with the difficult things and to keep the business running from an operational profitability state. So I would say in the very beginning, it was my job to set the culture and to attract the people that were going to embrace that and, you know, build upon it. And now I'm starting to step further back of still the vision and the culture, but more the strategy behind business growth. And so I see myself now in more of a support role than I did even in the beginning where I was doing more of the standing in front of the room. Yeah. That actually brings me to a beautiful segue into my next question, which was, um, you know, I think that at a lot of sort of personality driven events, the leader is the person who either gives an opening keynote or a closing keynote, or they're a big part of the reason that people showed up in the first place. And I think you are a reason that people show up in the first place, but you take a different um kind of functional role in the event itself in that you are more of an MC than you are like a featured speaker. You're at least at the event I attended, you were not a featured speaker. No, I am not a featured speaker. Yeah. What goes through your head in the moments before you step on stage at one of those events? Where are you getting your head, your your thinking, your how are you prepping yourself for that role as MC? I don't have to prep myself at all. Because okay. I like feel like I was born to like be a hype girl. <laughs> and so like that's just what I do. And I've been looking at this programming for months and months. I feel like I know every speaker so personally, even if I had just met them for the first time in person that morning, because I've just poured over everything about them to you know, decide if they're the right fit for this and to figure out where they go in the program. So all I have to do on the day of is stand up there and tell everyone why I'm so excited that that person is here, which requires literally no preparation from me other than those months, obviously, of planning and programming. Um, and, and that really is what I want my role to be. You know, I'm sure, I mean, I've given talks at other organizations and I don't, I like speaking. I like moderating and emceeing so much more. I feel like for me, I just love the conversation and I love pulling out of people what's so unique about them versus I don't find myself that interesting. (laughs) I find you very interesting. (laughs) Uh, 
All right. Um, there's one more thing that I really want to make sure that we get in on this uh, conversation, which is that you are currently in the process of expanding Rebel. You're creating local chapters. You've mentioned them a couple of times. There's one here in, in my own town of Lancaster, Pennsylvania. What are you doing to ensure that the values behind Rebel are represented in these new chapters as you expand kind of farther afield from Richmond? Yeah. So the main way is the person leading the charge. I think if we we're not going to the approach of like, hey, we here's the markets that meet the demographic of the types of places that our chapter would be successful. Mm. If we did that, Lancaster, Pennsylvania would probably not be on my radar at this point. No. <laughs> but that chapter is just doing phenomenally. They had an event last night that was sold out. They sell out most of their events. I know you spoke at an event and the feedback from that was phenomenal. I think the key to success for us, which also ensures that the values are being carried out, is finding the right person who gets what we do, who's super motivated and is a natural connector. And that's going to be the best investment of us to invest in that person to make them really successful versus just plopping a dot on a map and say there's enough people in this place that you know we could be profitable as a chapter. I, it's funny, when I was... Um, Thinking about this conversation, I was listening to another podcast and I heard this like this quote about the future of work and it got me like so jazzed and I was like, this is exactly what we're doing and this is why it's working so well in these chapters. But it was talking about like, you know, the different ways that you compensate people, right? You can compensate people with money or there's other ways for people to feel valued at what they do. And he was saying that you pay people as a symbol of appreciation, but you motivate them by designing a meaningful job, giving them the freedom to make choices about how they work, who they work with, and when they get it done. And that's literally exactly what we do. We say, here's the format and the formula, but you get to go and make this your thing in your region, like book the speakers you want to book, get the team together that you want to get, like make it yours that works where you are. And you have the support of us on the back end to make that happen. I love that. And I love that you're tying this kind of entrepreneurial opportunity to the different ways that companies are thinking about the future of work as well. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit? Are you open to talk a little bit about what your actual plans for growth are in terms of adding new chapters over the course of this year or the next couple of years? Yeah. So we've got a couple of different I guess, like channels that were growing. So it's funny, when we started, it was just the conference. And I really thought that was going to be the thing. Um, but the conference really is more of a time that we all come together and kind of recommit and reshare what our values are for everyone to get jazzed and then go do what they do. Right now, we have three chapters, um, Richmond, Virginia, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and one starting in Southern Maryland. We hope to add three to five more chapters this year. And we've got a couple markets identified where we have some people that we think would be great. We just have to either get them on board or find the support that they need to be successful where they are. Um, and then we also have another kind of channel that is starting in Richmond, which is where it all started, which is a new um, group program that we're calling Swell. Ooh. And it's essentially a peer group very similar to a mastermind 
but focused more for women that are not necessarily entrepreneurs, but find themselves in a space in their career or in their company where there's not a whole lot of professional development options. So like while we're growing the locations of chapters, we're also growing what each chapter can offer to their community. And so I think that's really interesting to see like how that will play out and what our growth really looks like by the end of the year. Oh my God. I love that idea. Um, Is there like a big overarching vision that you're working toward? Are you kind of taking things as they, as they go? I mean, of course I have a big vision, but I'm trying to take things as they go. That's the hardest part, right? For the visionary entrepreneur of like, I just need to take the next step, not think 10 million steps down the road. But I mean, my big dream is that we have chapters all over the country and that this becomes a a network that people can tap into the same way they would essentially tap into their alma mater or a fraternity or sorority that you would have your participation in Rebel on your resume and that would help you make connections. And, you know, the, the big, big vision is that and that we're supporting women that are both in entrepreneurial spaces and that are career minded because there's so much overlap. But I feel like often we are, you know, gravitating towards the towards one or the other because we think that that those are our people. Um, So breaking down some of those barriers is also in the in the big, big vision. I love that. Shannon, what are you most excited about right now? Literally everything. (laughs) I've also had a lot of coffee this morning. So I think I'm, I'm most excited about, you know, building this network of chapter leaders. Like I get real jazz when we have our leadership calls because each leader is bringing such an interesting, unique approach to what we do and, you know, creating it as their own, which I just love to see. So it'll be really fun when those calls are even more people and more perspectives. Um, so yeah, by the end of this year, having like eight to 10 super solid chapter leaders that I get to hang out with, I think that's that really gets me going. That's awesome. Shannon Siriana Greenwood, thank you so much for sharing your perspective on leadership and the values that you are um, imbuing your community with and this, this amazing vision that you are creating. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Tara. Find out more about Shannon Siriano Greenwood and the Rebel community at rebelcon.com. Next week, we'll hear from Rob Walling and how his values have been a through line on the companies he's built and the foundation of how he's built his unique event, MicroConf. What Works is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Sean McMullen. This episode was edited by Marty Seafelt, and production assistance is by Kristen Runvik. Find over 260 more episodes of What Works and sign up for our free weekly curated newsletter on building a business that works better at explorewhatworks.com.